Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for another one of our bonus episodes, our franchise focus. This time we're talking about the Sacramento Kings. Uh, of course, the Kings have a storied history. They were one of the inaugural teams of the uh, BAA, which later merged with the NBL to form the NBA. So they're one of the oldest teams in the current NBA, and they've had a number of names. They've been the Rochester Royals, the Cincinnati Royals, the Kansas City dash Omaha Kings, the Kansas City Kings, and then the Sacramento Kings. Uh, of course, they've been the Sacramento Kings for the longest portion of their history. So uh, you'd imagine, you kind of hope that's the name, the name and the location that sticks. Um, of course, for our franchise focus, we do three different segments. Firstly, we talk about the current team's direction and uh, outlook for the team this year, as well as going forward, uh, kind of how they've built over the last few years. We then talk about a historic team from that franchise's history, uh, notable for a variety of reasons. Uh, some teams we pick just one of their best teams in their history. One, other teams we po- focus on kind of a what if. Kind of just depends on what I think is most interesting to talk about. Uh, and then finally, we pick a uh, notable player from that franchise's history. It could be a franchise legend. could be a solid player who's important to the franchise in some way. Um Excuse me. There's kind of some variables as far as what we focus on with uh, with each of these franchise focused players. But those are the three main segments. Let's go ahead and dive into it. Let's talk about the current Kings. And I'm excited to talk about this because the Kings have been a team. They have the current uh, longest active playoff drought uh, among all 30 current NBA franchises. Uh, that's something that gets talked about a lot, maybe even talked about to death and uh the last time they made the playoffs was the 2005 to 2006 season uh you look back to that season just about all of those players are retired at this point i would think let me look through here you had ron artest when he was still going by that name uh, mike bibby brad miller Pedro stojakovic all of those keys players have long since retired um and in fact looking at this roster yeah none of these players are currently still playing in the nba um, which isn't totally out of the norm for a team that's, you know, for for a last playoff team, I suppose. But it's been a very long time. It's been nearly 20 years. Um, and, you know, Sacramento has a great fan base. It's a small market team in in a sense, but they've got a fantastic fan base. They have a, a recently, you know, opened brand new, pr- pretty new arena. And they've, you know, long been hopeful that the team can make it back to the playoffs. And this has been a franchise that for the longest time has been kind of stuck in uh, some sort of a, a low gear, if you'd put it that way. Um, of course, in 20, uh, 2010, they drafted DeMarcus Cousins and they gradually built into a uh, semi-respectable team in the West, still not quite a playoff team. Uh, the deal DeMarcus Cousins they kind of take take a little bit of a step back as as a franchise and as a team. Um, seemed like they were building again in 2019. That was the best record uh, they had had in that 2018-2019 season, the best record they had had since that playoff appearance. They were 39-43, and 43, uh, ninth in the West, just one spot out of the playoffs. Uh, they were coached by Dave Yeager. They had uh harrison barnes who was a re- recent trade acquisition that season buddy Heald and De'Aaron fox were a nice little backcourt uh 
Willie Colley Stein, the center, the power forward was a bit of a mix. They had some nice little bench pieces. You know, they were close to making that playoffs. And then mysteriously, they fire uh, Dave Yeager. Uh, the executive was Vladi Divac. Of course, he's been uh, somewhat of a non-appreciated GM, if we all want to put it in a very diplomatic sense. Uh, people kind of questioning his abilities as a general manager and as an executive. Um, and uh, since that point, they they hired Luke Walton, who had back-to-back 31 and 41 seasons. Uh, last season, they took just a touch of a step backward still, mid-season firing Luke Walton, bringing in Alvin Gentry. And it seemed like this team was no closer to breaking that playoff drought than they had been any of the previous, uh, you know, 15-ish seasons. And then this season, they have defied all expectations. And uh, I think it starts with the front office changes. Uh, In the 2020 uh, calendar year, they changed from Vladi Divac to the current executive, Monty McNair. And again, they had some growing pains some coaching changes, uh, some trades. And then this season they've now, uh, again, they've far and away surpassed expectations. They are currently 32 and 24. They have a 571 winning percentage, which is easily the best they've had since that playoff season. And it's actually a higher percentage at this point in the year than that last playoff team. Um, Again, 32 and 24, they're currently third in the Western Conference, uh, coached by Mike Brown, who had been spending a lot of time uh, as an assistant with various programs. I, be- I think he'd been around with a few stops. He certainly had been with the Warriors for a good stretch of time as an assistant with that incredible uh, organization and staff. He had recently been a head coach with the Cleveland Cavaliers when LeBron was there in his first stint and they made it to the finals were a perennial Eastern powerhouse. So he's got a great coaching resume and he gets another chance to be a head coach uh, after again, a lot of time as an assistant. Um, And he's, you know, making good on that opportunity. Um, And the roster it's been, you know, they've retooled and a lot of these guys are guys that have been with the organization for the last two or three seasons but a couple of key pieces added within the last year or two has, you know, pushed the right buttons, flipped the right switch, and this team has been playing better than most people could have expected. It starts, of course, with DeMontis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox, your two uh, all-stars this season. Uh, Sabonis originally the only one named, but then Fox was named as an injury replacement. Both of them have played pretty much all the games this season for the Kings that they could have played. Fox is averaging 24 and a half, nearly 25 points per game, six assists, four rebounds, and a steal. Percentages, uh, not out of this world. His three-point percentage isn't ultra great, but his overall percentages are solid. And then Demata Savonis is kind of the the key leader of the team, uh, about 19 points a game. 12 boards, seven assists. He's had numerous games of a triple-double. He's had a a very impressive stretch of double-double games. And his percentages are very good, too. 61% from the floor, including 35% from three on one three-pointer taken per game. Those two are, you know, where it starts. 
And Darren Fox has been with the organization since uh, 2017, 2016. Um, he's been a longtime player for them. Uh, Damana Sabonis was a trade acquisition last uh, season, a midseason acquisition in exchange for Tyrese Halberton. A lot of people wondered what the Kings were doing, giving up Halberton, but of course, both both teams have benefited from that that trade. Of course, we'll talk Pacers at a later date. But um, Sabonis and Fox have made a very potent duo. But they've got a great supporting cast. Harrison Barnes, we mentioned, of course, has been there for a while. Uh, statistically, not ultra stellar as far as standing out with multi, you know, plenty of points per game or rebounds or things of that nature. He's averaging 15 points and four and a half boards per game. But he's a perfect complementary piece to these guys, maybe even overqualified in some senses. He's been a great piece there at that power forward spot, uh, kind of an undersized four. They have the rookie, Keegan Murray, who's been one of the top five rookies this season. 12 points per game, nearly five rebounds, and his percentages are stellar, forty, nearly 42% from three. You add Kevin Herter and Malik Monk, the two guards that were one of the, you know, the key uh, offseason acquisitions along with the drafting of Keegan Murray. Uh, Kevin Herter, the starting shooting guard, shooting 39% from three, averaging about 15 points per game. Malik Monk averaging 13 points per game off the bench in 22 minutes. His percentages are a touch lower, but he's still an effective and uh, uh, feared scorer. You know, that six-man group along with backup guard, kind of a, a combo guard, probably playing more of a point, and a defensive specialist in Davion Mitchell gives them a really nice mix uh, with their, you know, most minutes played guys. Their reserve bigs are getting the job done, Trey Lyles and Chemezi Metu, along with Rashawn Holmes. Um you know, Holmes was a starter for a number of years for this team. He's now playing only nine minutes per game, but he's playing still pretty well in that role. Three points, two boards in those very limited minutes. Trey Lyles with 16 minutes a game, averaging seven points and three boards. More of that stretch piece and adding to the shooting. Uh, and then Metu, uh, about 11 minutes per game, has five points and three boards. So, uh, you know, kind of backups by committee. They don't have an ultra strong backup center but they do well with their their uh front court depth uh terrence davis adds another little scoring wrinkle uh seven points per game off the bench just adding to that uh you know current makeup and they've got a, a great rotation here their team is playing well and there there's maybe no more hopeful moment and i hope i'm not overstating how good this team has played, but no more hopeful era and feeling for a Kings franchise and a Sacramento fan base over the last 15 to 20 years than this season right now. Since the Kings were last in the playoffs and they were a fading team looking to potentially shift towards rebuilding, they've been mired in either being a very bad team to a out-of-the-playoffs sort of decent team and they've have they've gone through multiple head coaches they've drafted players that have failed to meet expectations they've been trying to find solutions and now they have you know with their most recent uh front office change they seem to have found the person who then put in the coach and those two combined have found the right pieces to the puzzle and they are 
poised incredibly well to finally end that drought. Again, they are third in the Western Conference. If we want to look at the current standings as it is, they are 32 and 25 overall. They did lose tonight, it looks like, but, uh, or actually within the last couple of days. Um, but just behind the Nuggets and the Grizzlies, um, ahead of the Suns and the Clippers, they're in a great spot. They have less losses than the Suns or the Clippers. Um, you know, I, I anticipate they're going to, they're going to do it. There's no signs of them slowing down. They've been great all year. And I think they've got a bright outlook. If you look at, uh, both Fox and Sabonis, they're both fairly young. I mean, uh, how old is De'Aaron Fox? He is 25 at this point. Sabonis is maybe a bit older, 26. I, your two best guys are in their mid twenties. You've got good depth. I think their draft situation, as far as picks, is probably not ultra disturbed. They their cap situation as well. I imagine that's probably fairly healthy, and they're in a good spot. You know, I feel like they're a team that, you know, obviously the focus is on this year, just due to what the last fifteen to twenty has been, and them breaking that playoff drought, but they're in a good position to keep this going and maybe even build on it and make it even better. And uh, hats off to the Kings. You know, I, if I'm a Sacramento fan, I feel very excited about this. And we haven't even mentioned that this is a team with an identity or at least a, uh, you know, something to, to rally behind the, the beam team. They, every time they win a game, they like the beam of the arena uh, shoots up into the night sky and shows, hey, Sacramento's won, and it's some, you know, it, it's something to to rally behind and something to be proud of. And so, uh, yeah, just a, they're in a fantastic spot. And you know, looking at their franchise history, they've been competitive more often than you might think. Of course, their most recent era of true competitiveness and even con- playoff title contention. <laughs> was the late 90s, early 2000s with Chris Webber, Stojakovic, Vladi Divac when he was playing. That was their, that's their best run in probably their franchise history. Uh, certainly their best as the Sacramento Kings. But they've had moments as the Kansas City Kings where they were in the playoffs more often than not. They were a winning team. They had moments as the Cincinnati Royals where they had some of the best players in the NBA, especially Oscar Robertson. And in their very early days as the Rochester Royals, they even won the NBA finals in 1951. Um, but I wanted to focus on that second group, that second era that I mentioned, that Kansas City Kings, um, once they'd solidified themselves in Kansas City for 10 to 12 years before deciding to move to Sacramento, they had a season in 1981 that I really honestly was not quite fully aware of until very recently. The 1980 to 1981 Kansas city Kings, the regular season record was 40 and 42, not world shattering. They were either a five or a six seed. I forget which exactly. And they made it to the Western conference finals against the Houston Rockets who had uh, the same record 40 and 42 they very well could have gone to the NBA Finals as the Kansas City Kings. And no one talks about this, 
outside of probably, you know, Kings fans. And I just wanted to highlight it. You look at the team, and none of these names are going to overwhelm you. It's a very solid cast. You have Otis Birdsong at shooting guard, their leading scorer, and I guess their de facto star. 24.5 points per game this season, 3.5 boards, 3.5 assists. Um, pretty great percentages, especially for his era. Um, in the you know infancy of the three-point line, he shot 28%, which in that era would probably cons- be considered fairly okay. Um, 1.3 steals per game as well, so solid defensively. So he's your star if you have to have one. Scott Wedman is a small forward. So these are your wing tandem. He averaged 19 points, five boards, three assists, also solid defensively, an even better shooter. Wedman is probably best known for his days as a backup in Boston with the championship Celtics in the 80s. But before that, he was an all-star with the Kings. And I, he might have even been an all-star this season. Let me double check on that real quick. Um 1981 no he was not an all-star this season but he was the year prior and in 1976 as well otis birdsong was their lone all-star for this specific season but uh nevertheless scott woodman an all-star type player in his era as well you have phil ford who was coming off of a rookie of the year campaign two years prior was an above-average point guard, maybe even a top-10 point guard in the NBA at that time, averaging uh, 17.5 points, nearly eight, nine assists, and one and a half steals. That's great point guard play and good percentage shooter as well. Then your front court is Reggie King, who was a, a fairly young, touch undersized power forward, but very productive, 15 points, nearly 10 rebounds a game. And then Sam Lacey was the starting center, who was a the seasoned veteran of the squad. This was his 10th NBA season, uh, a former all-star himself. In his best seasons in the last few years of the Royals and first years of the Kansas City slash Omaha Kings, he was a 10 and 10 average guy. He could average as much as 14 to 15 points per game and also average as much as 14 to 15 rebounds per game. Again, he was... A veteran player at this point, he was playing less minutes. He wasn't as effective, but he was still productive and a starting caliber center and uh, a guy with experience. I mean, seven points per game, seven rebounds per game, uh, 1.5 blocks per game. So they've got a very solid starting group. Their depth is okay, too. They have Jojo White, who was injured for much of the year, did not get to play in the playoffs. But Jojo White was coming off their bench as a point guard, still productive. They had Ernie Grunfeld more recognized today for his, you know, NBA front office uh, experience, but he was a, a solid enough backup player in his day. Joe Merriweather, a decent backup point, uh, center. Uh, Hawkeye Whitney, which apart from being one of the greatest nicknames in NBA history and greatest names, uh, he was a decent little point, a uh, decent guard coming off their bench uh, this kind of lone season for them. So their depth was good, and again, they were a playoff force. Reggie King in the playoffs stepped up his game and maybe even outplayed uh, some of the other guys. In the playoffs, they were, it looks like uh, uh, they played Birdsong less minutes than Ernie Grunfeld. Just an aside, 
I've been perplexed a bit looking at some of these, uh, you know, mid to early eighties rosters and before where players start pretty much all the games in the regular season and then are devoted to playing half the minutes they normally did uh, when it comes to playoff time. But that's, again, that's a side note. So Grunfeld averaged about 17 points per game and six assists in the playoffs uh, starting in place of Otis Birdsong, it seems, for whatever reason. Uh, Sam Lacey elevated his play a bit, but Reggie King, 21 points and 10 boards in the playoffs. Scott Wedman, 20 points, six boards, four assists in the playoffs. Um, They played as a team. I forgot to mention their coach, Cotton Fitzsimmons, who had a long career as an NBA head coach. Um, Multiple playoff appearances. uh, Especially had a, a great run with Phoenix. He actually coached in Phoenix in three different stints, which is interesting enough. But 89 to 92, he coached the Suns to be maybe the second best team in the in the West behind the Lakers. He was, and then Kansas City was maybe one of his most impressive coaching runs in this era. Um, so they had an experienced, great coach. They've got this solid lineup. Um, they go all the way to the finals. They lose the finals, or they go to the conference finals. Excuse me. They lose the conference finals to the Houston Rockets. They go on to lose the finals to the Celtics in Larry Bird's first championship. Uh, the Rockets led by Moses Malone uh, and a solid supporting cast of his own. And I guess that's what this King, Kings team ultimately lacked, a star player, uh, an MVP type of player, which Moses Malone was this season. Malone averaged 28 points and 15 rebounds with two blocks per game. And uh, it's tough to overcome that, especially when you have a bit of a uh, either inexperienced or aging uh, Reggie King and Sam Lacey, respectively, front court with just okay bench help. But this was a good Kings team. And I just wanted to highlight what, you know, how competitive the Kings have been at various stages in their history. They haven't always been a hapless organization as sometimes we kind of caricature them as at times, you know, so wanted to highlight them now with our player. um, I haven't, I've tried to hesitate a bit from just focusing on some of my favorite players with, you know, each franchise legend or noteworthy player. But um, I've done that to a fault. And I think I want to start doing focusing a little more on some players who are great, but also happen to be some of my favorites. And with the Kings, we're going to start that with uh, Mitch Richmond. You know, people are probably fairly familiar with Mitch Richmond. He was a, you know, top three shooting guard in the 90s. Of course, it's hard to beat Michael Jordan, but outside of that, he was one of the best guards in the 90s. Um, a 6'5", 215, you know, stout, strong shooting guard. They call him The Rock. Um, apparently, basketball reference also lists Hammer as a nickname. I haven't heard that one as much, but I've heard The Rock. Um, this is before uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson was kind of at his peak of popularity. But Mitch Richmond, a guard ahead of his time. You look at his play in his seven seasons in Sacramento. Of course, he got to start with the Golden State Warriors with run TMC, that offensive showcase. He was traded to Sacramento, played seven full seasons there, uh, missed some games in 93 with an injury, but outside of that played a good majority of those games that he could have played. Um, 
over those seasons, seven of those seasons, six of those, he was an all-star. He averaged 23 points, uh, nearly four rebounds and four assists, along with one steal per game, shooting 40% from three across that whole era. 40% from three in the 90s is unbelievable. It's kind of hard to overstate how stellar that is for his era. Think about if he was shooting in today's game and he was shooting many more threes. I mean, he was shooting about five threes a game in the 90s, which was, you know, remarkable. 40% from three, 45% from the floor, 85% from the free throw line. In his best season in 1997, he averaged nearly 26 points per game on 43% shooting from three. Um, it's worth noting that was the, one of the three years where the three-point line was brought in a touch. But still, I mean, even in uh, 94, before that three-point line was brought in, he still shot uh, nearly 41% from three. So a lethal shooter, but not just a shooter. He was a scorer. You know, he could drive inside. He could throw down some power dunks. He had moves. He had some handles. He was a scorer, not just a shooter. Um, so, yeah, great player. He was an all-star MVP in 1995 in the all-star game in Phoenix. Uh, he also played on the U.S. Olympic Dream Team in uh, uh, 1996. And he's, yeah, hard to overstate how great of a, a shooting guard, great shooter, great scorer he was. He had over 20,000 career points. He's now a Hall of Famer. Um, five-time All-NBA. Um, he was Rookie of the Year in Golden State. After that, he did kind of regress a little bit. He was traded to the Wizards for um, Chris Webber. You know, understandable trade for Sacramento. Again, they went to build on, went on to build one of the best teams of the late '90s and early 2000s. But um, he's still productive in his Washington years. Um, you know, maybe eight, 17 to 18 points per game over three seasons. Uh, percentages a touchdown, but still productive. Spent his last season in Los Angeles with the Lakers as a backup, playing very limited minutes at 36 years old. But he did get a championship out of it in 2002 as they beat the uh, New Jersey Nets. So, again, not too much more to add to Mitch Richmond. We kind of already know that he was, you know, an Olympic uh, U.S. player. He was um, an all-star, uh, one of the best players of his you know, era, one of the best shooters, you know, maybe even in NBA history. I, I'd say probably top 20 shooters. Maybe that's a bit high, but it's certainly a great scorer and a great shooter, especially for his era. So shout out to Mitch Richmond, The Rock. Uh, one of my favorites as well. One of those you know, I'll kind of get a little personal. I don't have a ton of jerseys. I'm wanting to build a jersey collection as an NBA fan. I have Pete Maravich, uh, Kyrie Irving, his Cavs days, um, Donovan Mitchell, you know, showing a little bit of the jazz bias. But I want to get jerseys of some of my favorite players. And I've had Mitch Richman on my list for a long time. So shout out to Mitch. Great player. Uh, underrated. Great shooter. And a, a key player for those Kings teams, especially one final note, helped get them into the playoffs, uh, technically the second time in Sacramento, but for the first time in a while since the 80s, got them into the playoffs in 96, uh, got the 
community, you know, excited about it, the city organ, uh, city excited about it, excuse me. So he wasn't just a great scorer and a, uh, you know, great individual player. He, he elevated those Kings teams. I mean, helped them get in the playoffs. So anyways, I'll, I'll quit waxing on about Mitch Richmond and Brown nosing a little bit, but great player. Want to recognize his contribution. Um, but with that, that takes care of our franchise focus for the Sacramento Kings. I want to thank you all again for listening. Uh, we'll be back soon with either your normal uh, weekly scheduled or daily scheduled show during the weekday or another franchise focused episode, uh, whichever comes first. So thanks again. And we'll be back with you soon.